0: Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. When we examine God's characteristic of love, what does it teach us to do? This is part five in our series, The God of Blank, in which Dr. Rocky Ramsey speaks to the attributes of God. What are the ways Jesus modeled love for us? He's forgiven and died for us. How has He loved us through giving?
1: 1 John two twenty says that we have an anointing from the Holy One. Now listen closely. If someone tries to spiritually impress you or intimidate you or control you by saying, well, I am anointed or I have an anointing. Here's your response. Hey, me too. If you're a Christian, you have an anointing. The anointing is God's Spirit that lives in every believer. That's what the Bible says, not for this preacher who's trying to impress you and control you. 1 John 3, 24 says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, in Jesus, and he, Jesus, abides in this person who's keeping his commandments. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us, this anointing. First John 4, 4 says that greater is he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world, the devil. Verse 13 goes on to say, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So one of the ways we know God loves us is he's given us his spirit. We're not the same people. We've got power we didn't have. We have understanding we didn't have because he lives in us. And then, number six, to prove that he loved us, Jesus makes us his children. Jesus makes us his children. Wow. 1 John 3 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Okay, he said, God's love for you is unbelievable. Let me prove it. And he says, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. I mean, wouldn't it have been fair for God just to make us servants? I mean, especially since we'd all sinned. And we sure don't have any business being a holy, righteous, perfect God's children. And yet that's exactly what he makes us. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. Love is not something we feel, it's something we do. God didn't feel something toward us, he did something for us. Now number five. Loving God is not an attitude that we have, it's action that we take. It's not an attitude that we have, it's action that we take. Love for God is not an attitude toward God, it's not a feeling about God, it's obedience to God, and we'll say that again. Loving God is not an attitude toward God. It's not a feeling about God. It's obedience to God. Someone who abuses another person can claim that he or she loves that person. It ain't so. It's not what you think. It's not how you feel. It's what you do. Now, we've talked about what God does for us to prove that he loves us, Now, how do we prove that we love him? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you three things there in your outline. Number one, first of all, we keep his commandments. We keep his commandments. First John 5, 2 to 3 says that when we love God, we observe and keep his commandments. In John 14, 21, Jesus makes it as plain as it can possibly be. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Of course, if you don't keep his commandments, you don't love him. The opposite's true. We may judge our love for God by how we, quote, feel in our hearts, but what we, by what we do or don't do when we worship, our style, or by a host of other gauges. But the gauge God uses is, do you obey me? If you obey me, you love me. In fact, we already saw earlier, if you obey me, you believe in me. If you don't believe in me, you don't obey me. If you love me, you obey me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. When I obey him, I love him. When I don't, I don't. It's really that simple. We show our love to God by keeping his commandments. But not only do we keep his commandments, number two, we want to keep his commandments. Not only do we do it, we really want to. Look at 1 John 5, 3. His commandments are not burdensome. It's one thing to obey God for some reason that you, quote, have to. Maybe that you fear the repercussions of your sins. I, I'm gonna, I really want to do this, and I would if I knew I could get away with it. But since I know I'm going to pay a price, if I do, I'm not going to do it. That's not what it's talking about. Maybe you fear the wrath of your parents or the rejection of your peers, and that's why you do the right thing. It's one thing to obey God out of duty. It's a whole other thing to obey God out of desire. Now, here's what the whole verse says. Hope you're there. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's how you show God you love him. God, not only will I do what you tell me to do, I'll be glad to do it. I'll be excited about it. You want me to give up that habit? I'll be glad to. You want me to quit using those words in my language? I'll be glad to. You want me to start doing this? I'll be glad to. You want me to change how much I read the Bible? I'll be glad to. We keep His commandments, His commandments are burdensome. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. And not only are they blessed, they're satisfied. Remember, one of the things Jesus did for us is to give us this better life, this obedient life, which is the abundant life. Now listen, they're satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are satisfied uh, not just because they will get an eternal reward, but because obedience always comes with an emotional internal reward. Doing the right thing is hard to do. In today's paper, there's a bunch of investigations going on with guys in the sheriff's department, and there's an article about the the sheriff Spangler, and Spangler said, when I got elected, I had no idea how hard it would be to do the right thing. Well, I got news for you. Doing the right thing is often really hard. Doing the wrong thing is easy on the front end, but boy, it's hard on the back end. Doing the right thing is often hard on the front end. The guy you're dating or girl you're dating, the relationship's gonna be over. The crowd you've run with, you're gonna find another crowd. It may cost you your job, but it's the right thing. And the, we're doing the right thing on the, it's always hard on the front end, usually it's hard on the front end, but boy, is it a good idea on the back end. Pays the great way. Uh, I'll use this verse later. Remember we entered this narrow gate into this narrow path. Well, it's just so narrow. You, you know, used to, I could do everything, but now I've got to live my life the way God wants me to. It's so narrow. Yeah, it is. But it leads to life. It leads to life. Now you can get a, go through the broad gate into the broad way, and you can do anything you want to. But the problem is, it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. We show our love for God by being glad to obey him. Jot down Psalm 40 verse 8. There it says, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. So question one question is, do you do his will? Here's another question. Do you delight in it? Or do you grudgingly do it? Well, we gotta go to church and gotta give and gotta serve and gotta care about people I don't like. Whatever. I delight to do your will, O Lord. Now here's the third way that we show God. Remember, we show God not by our attitude or our act or our feeling, but by our action. And that is we love those whom God loves. We love those whom God loves. 1 John 3, 17 to 18 says, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now what it's inferring is, it doesn't. Duh. And then he goes on to say, little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. You don't really love God if you don't love those he loves. Look at 1 John 4, 20 to 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, say, well, explain how that's true. I don't know, but God said it is true. It's true. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We love God by loving those he loves. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 25? If you did it to the least of these, you did it to me, he said. And then he said, if you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. So how do you love God? You love God by loving those he loves. Now, this is also true with us. One of the ways that you love people is by loving those they love. Now, most of you know I grew up real poor, and, and uh, you know, mom struggled almost all her life. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget there's one person in particular who did some, there, and there's, there are two or three that did some things, but one in particular did some things for her, bought her things she couldn't afford. I will never, ever, ever forget that. My daughter went through a real hard time a few years ago, and there were people who stepped up, cared about her, and supported her. I will never, ever, ever forget the people who did that, ever. You can say you love me, but if you don't love my kids, frankly, I don't care, right? Come on. If you don't love the people somebody loves, you might as well not bother loving them. If you don't care about who they care about, they don't care what you care about at all. Am I in the right room? That's the way this works. Works with God, works with us. We love God by loving those he loves. And we do the same thing with people. We love people by loving the people those people love. Now, number six. This is really important to understand. Loving God well removes our fear fear of him. Now listen closely. It removes our fear of him. There's lots of words we use that we just need new words, you know. When I say I love Betsy, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it doesn't mean the same thing when I say I love you, okay? It doesn't. And when I say I love my children, my grandchildren, I, I got news for you. It doesn't mean the same when I say I love you. I hope that doesn't hurt you. I hope you're going. Same here. We throw that word around. You know, we love uh, uh, spaghetti. <laughs> we love puppies. We've we got love. We just stole love about everything, it, it has no meaning. We need some new words. Well, same thing is true with fear. The same thing's true with fear. The Bible tells us that we are to, quote, fear the Lord. But this doesn't mean that we're to be scared to death of Him. This is really important. It means that we're to respect him. We're to hate the thought of disappointing him because we love him. I had a friend. He was on staff here for a little bit. And when we were young, and of course, I grew up heathen, and he grew up in church, And but he, we played ball together, and he lived near my cousins, and we hung out all the time. And, and we got into high school, and, and we did our best to try to get him to commit some of the sins we were into. He wouldn't do it. And he would say, if my dad ever found out, it would break his heart. We tried everything. But the thought of disappointing his father meant more than all the pressure a bunch of sinner boys could put on him. That's what God's talking about. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not, he, wasn't, he wasn't afraid of his dad, like his dad's gonna hurt him, maim him or something. He just couldn't bear the thought of breaking his dad's heart. Do you fear God like that? If most of us feared God half as much as he feared his father's disapproval, we would be twice the people we are. And that's sad. Look at 1 John 4, 18. There it says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected, matured in love. Now, this is true with people, it's true with God. You can't really love somebody you're afraid of. Now, we, we, again, we get, we get in this language, you know, well, well, I was afraid of my dad, you know, I'd do something wrong, he'd grab it, you know, put his hand on the belt buckle, how many of y'all relate to this one? He'd just go right here, and, ugh, you know, everybody's in fear and trembling kinda of deal. But your dad loved you, hopefully. And he might correct you, and it might be painful, but he was never gonna hurt you. Never gonna harm you, put it that way, right? I can, I, I, if, you, if you love somebody, you're not afraid of them. And if you're afraid of them, you don't love them. Now you might have some other dysfunctional feeling, the need for their approval, uh, the need to prove them, uh, you know, or to uh, to uh, please them, but you can't really love. Why? Because love casts out fear, and fear casts out love. So when we talk about fearing the Lord, we're not talking about being scared to death of Him, trembling in our boots, because He loves us. Jesus died for us. Jot down Romans eight thirty or thirty two. Uh, if you know Christ, uh, He who gave us His Son will he not also with Him freely give us all things. If you're God's child, he's on your side, he loves you. He'll correct you, you better believe it. It can be painful, you better believe it, but he'll never harm you. He loves you. You don't have to be scared of him, but you ought to have this holy respect for someone who has done so much for you. How could you commit that sin and break his heart? That's what this means. Loving God well removes our fear of him. I live my life with incredible respect for God's holiness and righteousness, but I'm not scared of him. He's my father. He knows me full well. He still knows what's broken in me, what's wrong about me and with me. He punished his son to save me, to have me, to bless me, to spend forever with me in heaven. The moment I'm scared of God, I'm unable to love him because love casts out fear and fear casts out love. Loving God well removes our fear of him. Now look at these verses, 1 John 4, 17 to 18. 4, 17 to 18. By this, love is perfected, matured with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. He's talking about being righteous. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. So what he's saying here, because we love God, we're not afraid, we're not scared of God, and because we're obeying him, which is how we love him, we have confidence before him. And we have confidence even in the idea of judgment. Now look at 1 John 2, 28 to 20. Two twenty eight twenty little children abide in him, so that when he appears, comes for us, we may have confidence. There's that word again, and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Why would be we be ashamed? Because we've not been living the way he wants us to live. If you're if you're not living the way God wants you to live, do you want him to show up today. You want him. You want to die and him, catch you in all your sin or the rapture take place and you're at the worst point of your life? No, you don't want that. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. He loves us. He has forever proven that at the cross. We're not scared of him, but we have a serious respect for his holiness and righteousness. We love him. And by loving him, what we mean is, we're seeking to obey him. Not just do what he asks us to do, but really want to do what he asks us to do. We obey him imperfectly, but we obey him definitely. If you look at the course of a believer's life, is their obedience perfect? Nobody's is. But a real Christian, is his obedience definite? Everybody is who's a Christian. It's definite. So we look forward to his coming for us, rapture, Or to our going to him, death. If we disobey him, then we're afraid of his coming. We shrink away in shame and of his judgment. Loving God well removes the fear of him. Now, number seven. And this is something I wish everybody in America especially could hear. This goes back to where we started. There are people who think God loved the world, God is love, God loves me, therefore I'm okay. Not true. Number seven, God's love for you doesn't solve his problem with you. God's love for you doesn't solve his problem with you. If you don't know the Lord, this is the most important thing for you to understand this morning. God's love for you doesn't solve the problem that he has with you. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of who God made them and intended them to be. Not some, all. That includes me, that includes you. Isaiah 59:2 tells us that our sin has separated us from this God that we were made to know and be with. Romans 6:23 tells us that the wages of sin, the payoff when we sin, is death. And death here is talking about not just physical death, it's talking about eternal separation from God. It's hell. It's where nothing is good is there because the one who is good and from whom all good comes, God, is not there. God did love, does love the world. God does love everybody. Jesus did not come to save the world or to judge the world, but rather to save it. But Jesus Himself also said that until we believe, we stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. It's not that we'll be condemned one day if we don't repent. We're condemned now, having not said yes to God. We've already said no. The good news is that God loves you. He really does. The bad news is that his love is not enough to save you from the problem he has with you. It really isn't. To save you from the righteous wrath and judgment of God, God had to punish his own son, Jesus. 1 Peter three eighteen says, Christ died for sins once for all. The just, that's him. For the unjust, that's us, so that he might bring us to God. One truth is this. God's love is not enough to save you. Now here's another surprising truth. The death of Jesus is not enough to save you. The death of Jesus is not enough to save you. He died for the sins of the whole world. And yet he himself says in Matthew five thirteen to 14, that few, his word, not mine, would enter the narrow gate into the narrow way and find life. And Jesus himself said that many, his word, not mine, would enter the broad gate onto the broad way that leads to destruction. Jesus was the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. He died for all. But the death of Jesus, just like the love of God, is not enough to fix the problem God has with you because he's holy and righteous and you're a sinner. Jesus gave his life for you so that you would give your life back to him. He lived and died for you so that you would live and die, if necessary, for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. He didn't die for all so they could get a t- ticket to heaven, so they could just miss hell. He hung on the cross in your place so you could live in this world in his place. He represented you before his Father so that you could represent him to the people that are in your world today. Remember what Jesus said in John 3:36? He does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's the words of Jesus. In Matthew 7:21 to 23, Jesus makes it clear that a lot of people who consider themselves to be Christians are not and will be shocked to discover how wrong they were at the judgment. He said that there, go read it, that those who do the will of his Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. John 3.36 is one of the many places we learned that believing in God, real biblical faith, is o- equals obeying God. Today we've learned that loving God equals obeying God. The rest is just religious talk. Hebrews 5, 9 says this. says that Jesus, listen closely, became to all those who obey him the source of eternal life. Not to all those who prayed that prayer, who went down, who got baptized, who took communion, who joined the church, who filled in their hearts that they love Jesus. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal life. Now listen closely, we're through. God's love is not enough to save you from the problem he has with you. The death of Jesus is not enough to save you from the problem that a holy and righteous God has with you. God has done all that he needs to do, but there's something left that only you can do. You must believe that Jesus is who he said he was and did for you what the Bible says he did. Since he was punished, you can be forgiven. You must repent from living apart from God and his will. In Luke 13, three, Jesus said, Jesus himself, everyone who does not repent will perish. What does that mean? Everybody who doesn't repent will perish. What if I prayed the prayer? Did you repent? No, you'll perish. Well, if I went down, you'll perish. What if I feel like I love God in my heart? If you didn't repent, you'll perish. Love is not something you you pontificate, it's something you communicate and demonstrate. You must begin to follow and obey Jesus. Does your salvation require the love of God? Yes, but it's not enough. Does your salvation require the death of Christ? Yes, absolutely. But even his death is not enough to fix your sin problem with God. The last ingredient, if you will, is your choice to believe, to repent, and to follow him. And your entire eternity depends on it.
0: Do you know this God of love? Join us next time to learn more about God in the series, The God of Blank, from Dr. Rocky Ramsey. Catch up on any episode you missed on our podcast called Coryton Cast. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to and Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CorytonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media or at Coryton Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and
1: have a fantastic day.